The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You're very smart. You make jokes that go over my head sometimes because me play football, me blonde quarterback. No, but you do that to me as well. Yeah. I don't Although know. Some of the really. jokes don't go over my head. They're just so inappropriate that I just try to move on. You do. You try to ignore yeah. it. You're like, uh-oh, that's an this, HR violation. This could be a Chris. problem. Can't spell Chris without HR, okay? <laughs> yo, yo, it's Monday. Divisional playoffs in the books. We got the final four. It was awesome weekend. Chris Sims, Ahmed Fareed, the wimp Ahmed Fareed right here. I'm saving you from yourself Yeah, thank you. situation. Right, yes. We're going down a road that's going to get Chris in trouble. I'm going to make a turn. Yeah, I just, you know, I disagree. Yeah, that's all right. I know you're my friend, and you are trying to save me, and I probably need need saving like (laughs) 95% of the time. But every now and then, I don't want to be saved. I want and to you be make that very clear. You, you make it very clear. If we're trying to steer you away from something, you go, right. no, I am going to say this <laughs> because it's the Internet in 2020. And exactly. That's my, usually my point. Right. Yes. I mean, the Internet, you can go and find anything, and people watch a lot more crude things than some of the things I say. And then I, I go, say. still put that Peacock logo on it, and that makes people nervous Exactly. That, that, well, it makes all. my bosses nervous. I know that. <laughs> but what's up, everybody? Uh, check out the podcast. Rate, review, please. We're going to get into some AMAs here real soon. I know that. Uh, we're going to recap divisional divisional weekend. Yep. Had some awesome football games. I was there to witness Vikings 49ers. That you, was you great. Were. I was. Flew cool. across country. Cool. Don't let anybody tell you there's no home field advantage there. Fuck that. The 49ers fans are for real. Yeah. That stadium is very loud. Kirk Cousins didn't use the silent count when he was in New Orleans. He did when he was in San Francisco. So I think that tells you how loud it was, right? Uh, That's big, too, because I know the first couple years I was there, it was not loud. And the team wasn't as good. They were going through a transition then. Harbaugh had the 8-8 team, and things got sour real fast. But that's good to hear. They were insane. Like, you knew it was going to be a loud stadium an hour before kickoff because the stadium was already about 60 to 70% full. People seemed like they were rowdy. They'd been drinking some. They'd been smoking some of that good, good. Whoa, you smelled that everywhere, okay? Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> I smelled that everywhere. That is weed we're talking about, all right? Uh, but that was cool. Then there was the Saturday night surprise. Yeah. And then the gifts of Sunday. I mean, both of those games were amazing. So we're going to hit it all here. We'll hit little things. You, you lead the direction where okay. you want to go from here on out. You look good today. Good to see you. Oh, thank you. Hey, it's no the problem. first time I've no worn this shirt on the, yes. uh, the pod. What do you got in your cup uh, over there? Nothing water. Just water. Just water. New doesn't year, look like new water. Me. You're new bullshitter. Year, new me. Well, I can't believe you lied in my face like that. That looks like it's Hulk green, all right? <laughs> Which means it's radioactive. Carbonated, too, as yes. well. Yes. Oh, yummy. I'll change one day. All right. I'm going to go eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Okay. Let's start with the biggest comeback in one quarter in <laughs> NFL history. Right. It wasn't the biggest playoff comeback right. ever. Right. But if you just want to limit it to... One 15-minute quarter, no NFL team has ever done that before. Been down 24-0. And then within a quarter, come back and take the lead. As you're watching on YouTube, you can see the biggest playoff comebacks 
of all time. Andy Reid has been part of a couple of these, too. The one yeah, yesterday. he has. And then the one with uh, the Colts coming back on the Chiefs back in 2013. This one, it was weird because you're sitting there and you're watching this game, and the previous game that we had watched was Baltimore fall right. behind early. It looked like oh, the no. same thing was right. happening. It looked like the exact same thing. It wasn't right. done the same way, yeah. but it felt the same way. It was like, wow, it's going to happen yeah. again right. in the AFC. Houston came out, and they just – they're not a good first quarter team this year. Yeah, it's just, they've been one of the worst first quarter teams, which is the weird thing about this game. I, I just before we get into kind of the, the comeback, just how shocked were you on how that game began? Like literally texting friends, like, "Oh man, I mean, I don't want to see Houston Tennessee a- AFC Championship game. I can't believe this." And yeah, I was you know texting with Florio and Matt Casey, you know the producer, just talking about things during the game. But I was. I was sitting there going, man, it's 24 nothing. I'm definitely, they're in trouble and I'm concerned. But I was also sitting there going, like, they're not out of this. They weren't being, like, surgically destroyed in the pass game or, like, bludgeoned in the run game, right? I mean, it was self-inflicted wounds. So when you do that and then you see that, ooh, there was chance for success and there was a drop pass or another drop pass or, you know, it's third down and we blow a coverage. I mean, hey. You know, I don't care. I don't care if they were playing the Houston Texans or the Cincinnati Bengals. When you blow a coverage and then drop a punt, and then what is my other one? Um, how did they get that other one? Hold on, blow a coverage, drop a punt, and there's something else they did, and I'm blanking Mental out on errors. it. No, hold on, I'm being. No, drop, all those drop passes, no, block punts. No. Block pun- oh, and then, yeah, block punt. Thank you. Yeah. So I don't care who you are. You blow a coverage. Let me redo that. Get a punt block for a touchdown and then drop a punt. Yeah. If you're playing the Bengals, you're going to be down 21 nothing. let alone the Houston Texans. So they fucked that game up from the start. They put themselves in a hole. Really, the Texans offense only had somewhat of a one drive for that field goal. Uh, other than that, it wasn't like I was sitting there going, oh, man. This doesn't look good. The Chiefs look outmatched. I just was going, they're, they're, they're shitting down their leg is what I was saying. Yeah. And can they just kind of like find something to jump off of? And luckily they did. The good thing about falling down by a lot early is yeah. that you did it early and you have a whole exactly. lot of time to, time to come back. Right. Uh, let's look at a couple decisions here because I think people are – are latching on to Bill O'Brien and what he did, which I hope that doesn't overshadow what Patrick Mahomes, and he's gotten a lot of credit, yeah, and the Chiefs right. deserve a lot of credit. It right. wasn't like these decisions by Bill O'Brien made a uh, fait accompli. No, no, they were they were allowed lose. to play the rest of the game, too. Absolutely. There was no rule that said, like, oh, that decision ended up not being right. you got to quit now. Let's do a little thing called, I like to yeah. call it Mulligan Monday. Oh, so Mulligan Monday. Would you take Monday. a mulligan? Yeah. Uh, would you redo it? So you yeah. think Bill O'Brien, right. if he had his druthers, right. Would go back. A lot of people talking about that field goal. They, they, to go tw- up 24 nothing. It was 21 nothing. Yep. It was second quarter. It was about five minutes into the second quarter. It was fourth and one on the Kansas City. Yes. 13. Right. And there was a little confusion. I think right. Bill O'Brien said they thought it was a first down, so that's why the offense was still on the field. They had to call timeout. Yep. Kick the field goal. 24 nothing. Turns out they needed a lot more than 24 points. I don't think that decision at the time is a bad call. I, I, I don't either. You know, first off, like, how much time was left in the game of the 832? All right? So, or no, 1058, even yeah. more. Yeah. I mean, so, all right. To me, that was the right play there. 
And, and listen, we're gonna, I'm, I'm not sitting here like, you'll see. I'll, I second-guess some guys this weekend. There's other decisions I don't. I'm going to second-guess Billy O'Brien again here in a second. I'll just tell you that. But this one, you're up 21 nothing. Okay, you've driven down the field. Go up, go up 24 nothing. Now, most people go, oh, well, you left at a three-score game. First of all, again, it's 10 minutes and 58 le- seconds left in the second quarter. Yeah. So let's start, start counting the, cu- the scoreboard for what it might look like three hours down the road. Like, nobody's the wizard of fucking Oz over here, all right? So you go up by 24 nothing on the road. You bring something positive away from that drive. Those would be my first thoughts. My second thoughts are to be up 24 nothing, and you say, oh, it's a three-score game. Yeah, it's a three-score game if the offense can score six touchdowns, which is three real touchdowns and two two-point conversions. The, inc- the chances of that happening are not great, okay? So I like that. The second thing I would say to you, had we seen any semblance of a drive by the Kansas City Chiefs offense at that point? No, we hadn't. Yes, they dropped some passes, but they had done nothing to that point. So Billy O'Brien's going, well, I mean, gosh, okay, you know, maybe we get the stop and we go down and kick another field goal, we're up 27-0. Okay, it didn't work out that way. They, you know, 24-0, they settled for the field goal. Yes, they returned the kick for a long, a long game. Guess what, though? You know, it's 24-17, still a three-score game. So it wasn't like that big of a deal. 24-7, right? yeah. Yeah, 24-7, exactly right. It's still a three-score game. And then, uh, so I, I, I like the decision. Rather than going for it, up 21 nothing, and then if you don't get it, and then Kansas City goes and drives down the field and it's 21-7, 21-7 that would have been even totally different right. either way. And you can't predict the future and go, oh, McCall Hardman's going to have a great kick return here and all of that. So I had no problem with that decision right there with 10 minutes and 30, 58 seconds left in the, in the second quarter. What do you think about all this conversation yeah. that's going on around Bill O'Brien? Come on. Right are you now? guys people – are you kidding me in Houston? You say – I know you've – talked highly of Bill O'Brien before, right. but you're not totally sold that he is the next coming of this great coach and, and GM, which he's serving as right now. Well, no, okay. Seasons. I mean, he just took over the GM thing, like, last offseason. Yeah. And he didn't want to, right? He didn't want to nick Casario. And that got – they messed that up. I don't know if Casario or Jack Easterby or whoever. He wanted more power. He, he definitely he wanted He definitely that. wanted more power. There's definitely been some civil war in that building. Hey, every, G, every head coach wants a GM that sees things the way they see him. Obviously – he was not like, oh, gosh, I don't want a GM because he was trying to hire Nick Casario. He wants a GM. He just wants a GM probably that, oh, oh, my gosh, how dare he to do things the way he thinks they should be done or shares a certain vision with yeah, him. I get right? that. He came from New England. That's what they fucking do. That's why they've dominated two decades, okay? So I don't like that. Plus, you know, again, if I was going to, you know, the only, my only thing with Billy O'Brien is, yeah, his offense lacks big-time creativity, it's still a good offense. He's still a really good head coach. His team, teams are still really tough. Situationally, he's usually really good. So, and tell me who's out there that you're going to replace Billy O'Brien with. That's crazy. It's crazy talk. And it's the second year with Deshaun Watson, all right? You know, I know this is Deshaun Watson's year three. His rookie year tore his ACL. So, it's second full season with Deshaun Watson. Second playoffs. Won a game this year with Deshaun Watson. Last year, they went out in the wild card game. You know, he went to the playoffs a whole bunch of other times with fucking quarterbacks that aren't even third-string quarterbacks. So that, to me, is just insane, Bill. Billy O'Brien is one of the better head coaches in all of football. Is he Bill Belichick? Is he Sean Payton? No, he's not. But nobody else is either at this point. What so. I think is frustrating about him is he. there are times where he's painfully conservative. Sure. And he's is, old school that way. It's funny that he, he's getting ripped for 
the fake punt, probably the the most daring thing. He's well, this ever done, uh, which he'll never he'll right. never do again now. He's right, done. Well, <laughs> now let's dive into that one. Now yeah. you want to go Mulligan Monday? I I bet you he wants a Mulligan there. Okay. Now again, it's 24/7. The big kick return. Gave them the short field. Yeah. Yes, it's 24-7. But Kansas City's probably still going, God, I don't know. We haven't had to drive down the whole field. Okay, we got a score. That's great. It's fourth and four. A fake punt at your own, what were they? 31-yard line? 31. To me, like, that was like the moment where it was like, oh, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the sleep, they, they brought up the sleep, the, the, the sleeping giant wasn't yeah. awoke yet. He might have been like tussling in the bed. But this is like he brought out the smelling salt. It was like, okay, wake up, you motherfucker. Wake up. And they woke up. And that now you give them the short field a second time. They score again. And now it's a 10-point game. The stadium's going ruckus. And now you go, oh, no. Now they're legitimately back in the football game. Yeah. So it's that fake punt, and I'll go back to what I said before, we still hadn't seen Kansas City go the length of the field and score yet. To me, you punt the ball away there. You save that fake punt for maybe later on when it needs to come in handy where you go, okay, no, no, Kansas City definitely has the momentum right now, and we need to retake it. And right there, I don't think Kansas City had the momentum. Was it teetering? Yes. But I don't think you like, were like, oh, no, here comes Kansas City. I wasn't ready to say that yet. Uh, but after the fake punt, the miss, and then them scoring a few plays later, then I was yeah. like, uh-oh, watch out. Things are going to change. And then the fumbled kick return happened. And then it became a real game. Maybe not the not the best call, but I no. boy, I respect it. Though. I hear you. I it's mean, ballsy. I like that, which I like. He's from for Bill a guy Belichick, who's painfully conservative, who yes. I think has punted many times when he should have probably gone for it. Right. The one time he doesn't punt, it it comes back to hit him. And and I do think that it looked like Justin Reed, who got the snap, had room to run. Sorensen played discipline, which we got to give a lot of credit to exactly Daniel Sorensen right. because right. he made that great tackle. And if you watch it pre-snap too. With Sorensen, yeah. he was tracking Reed because Reed was kind of working his way over to the right a little bit, sure. just nonchalantly. And Sorensen's tracking him and going with him, so he was locked on at the whole time. And Sorensen is also the guy that punched the ball out, and Darwin Thompson returned on the uh, the kickoff. The return. following, the the following kick return. Yeah, right. Daniel Sorensen, special teams right. ace over Which here. Darwin Thompson, can somebody tell him that when there's a fumble on a kick return, you can return it yeah, for what, a touchdown? Why did he do that? I think he thought it was like a dropped onside or a right. punt where you can't you can't advance a, a, a block a punt. A muff, a muff punt, punt, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's either that. I don't know what was going through his head. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that almost cost them because, of course, then they they score on third down because of Mahomes' magic a few plays later. But then it got to 24-21, and then you felt like, uh-oh. Like, and to me, that was when I was like, all right, there, there's just there's no doubt Kansas City's going to win the game now. Because yeah. even as I was sitting there watching and they were down, I was going, man, Kansas City still looks like the better team to me as we started this conversation out. They were just messing things up, and then it became Mahomes' mania, and the offense just started clicking. And once you get them on a roll like that, forget it. It's over. So let's get in, let's get into that and what yeah. you kind of noticed when yeah. they started getting in a roll because those first three touchdowns, Pete, saying that they had, what was it, 81 total, 81 total yards for those three touchdowns right. to get right back in it. And so then the Houston Texans are up three only in that three-point lead insurmountable for Texans. They were not going to be able to come back from being ahead by three points. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Seriously. Game was over at that point. Um, but but they really, I mean, the Chiefs did turn it on. And it wasn't like Mahomes all of a sudden started playing well because I think he was playing okay up to that point. Yeah, right. They had some drops. Kelsey, oh Demarcus Robinson. Yeah, you're exactly right. And Kelsey took over as well. And Romo made a point in the broadcast too saying that that is the one guy that Houston did not 
have anyone that could could match no, up with no with Kelsey which I'm, I'm kind of curious why why that's the case because he's a tough matchup but why them specifically well yeah yeah so I mean I, I think he up. was just trying to say they don't have that like great cover safety or linebacker that maybe can cover him listen there was a number of plays they did really good job on Kelsey mm. and I just put a, I put a, a few things on or one on social media I think we got another one coming up here where like he's covered they've called the right defense everything's good but the pass protection's good, and his ability to go, oh, wait, I've run this route, but they've covered me, and I'm going to uncover this area. And Mahomes' ability, because of the pass protection, to also stay with him in those moments, then to make throws down the field to him, that was amazing too. I mean, listen, Ahmed, there's a few plays where, I mean, it's, they're, they're, the, the guy defending Kelsey's running the route for him, but he kind of uncovers and Mahomes hits him. And it's like, man, I don't, there's nothing more Romeo Cornell can do there. You know, the, the Texans don't have a great pass rush, so that's been an issue for them. Then there's another play where they double him. I mean, he's doubled. They got him doubled running a crossing route, and he sees it, and he kind of, like, slows up in the middle of the field and then hits it again and splits them, and Mahomes throws a rifle out the backside of a, one of the guys doubling him. So, you know, there's sometimes that's what's frustrating about Kansas City. You can watch a lot of plays on this game and go, it's the right defense. They got him. But there's just nothing you can do to stop the talent on the field at times. And that's the biggest issue. The biggest thing to me, too, uh, Ahmed, is Kansas City got aggressive. You know, Kansas City, they got to, they gotta, when teams played them like the Texans do, and the Texans played man-to-man almost the whole game. They tried to switch it up to zone a few times, and Mahomes carved them up, and I think they just said, whoa, fuck that. We can't get a pass rush, and if we play zone coverage, he'll just buy time and pick us apart. So they said, okay, screw back, back to man-to-man, and they did that. Um, but two things happened. Kansas City got aggressive with their pass play calling. Like, listen, you, you can't let some guy, right, like, play, play, Tyree, you're Tyree Kill and I'm the DB. You can't let him play, like, right here, man-to-man, and not scare him to go deep every now and then. Right. One, you got to back them the hell off just to open up other things in your offense. Two, what's the point of having Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins and Patrick Mahomes if you can't throw the fucking ball deep? Like, what's the point? I don't know. What'd you draft them for, to throw slant routes? Right. right? So you got to do that because why? You're good at it. And – the other part of that is what happened when they started to do that? They started to get pass interference calls. So who cares if you completed it or don't? Because Bradley Roby, when you have good pass protection and you're playing man-to-man, you're covering Tyree Kill, when Tyree Kill goes down the hill, down the field for 30 yards and then goes, whoa, I'm going to now run this way, you're, he's going to get held because nobody can run with Tyree Kill like that. Nobody on the planet. So that's why they have to continue to stay aggressive that way. And then the other thing that happened too is Mahomes realized – wait, they're not really staying in their pass rush lanes and they're playing man-to-man when I drop back? I'm going to run. And that's when it became deadly because now the Texans are going, oh, we're worried about all these pass concepts and, and this talent and our backs turned and now we got people all over the place rushing Patrick Mahomes and he made a few runs and that, that's where he just becomes unstoppable and that's exactly what happened. I mean, he made him look, look silly because that game is a 51-7 to game. After they fell down 24. Isn't that amazing? 51 to 7. Yeah. That's probably the score that they should have had if right. they wouldn't have had those early mistakes. Andy Reid had a few tendency breakers just to add to that, too. Sure. What do you, you mean? You know, where like you've, ta- you've heard me talk about some of the bread and butter plays that the Kansas City Chiefs run, like all the verticals. You know, yeah, verticals. Yeah. And then, you know, Travis Kelsey's running a deep cross underneath all the verticals. Right. Well, they would do the same thing, but like Travis Kelsey would look like he's running the deep cross and then put on the brakes, and break out the other way. So there's the guy going, oh, I've seen this play. Coach told me about this play all week. Oh, oh, 
no, yeah. he stopped. And then he's wide open, breaking out the other way. So they did a few things like that, too, to keep you off of, like, their bread and butter plays that now make the defense and Romeo Cornell and the guys guarding going, oh, wait, they have some, they got some curveballs and some change-ups today. I better watch out. I can't overplay some of these routes. And I thought that was really well done by Andy Reid in the offense and Eric Bieniemy as well. Can we expose some people who thought the game was over when it was 24 Oh, let's nothing? do that. Let's yeah, there, do that. Were, there were some tweets out there of, of some people. Um, but first, before we take a look at those tweets, there was this fan that was there, Big oh, I Buck heard. Chuck. I haven't seen this yet, but I've heard. Big Buck Chuck. And so he was there in the first quarter, right? and he left. Here's, here's what he said. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. I'm out of here so we get the second half comeback going. Hopefully. Can't do it. Got to leave, man. It's the only hope. <laughs> there was one fan that's now going viral. He left when you guys were down 24 nothing because he said it was in the best interest of the team. What would you say to that fan? Uh, watch next game at home. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Big Buck Chuck. Hey, listen. And he wasn't leaving because he, I mean, he probably was frustrated, but he thought it would turn the tide. That was selfless. It was that selfless. That is taking your ego out of the equation. Yeah. Or I don't know. Maybe actually, it probably actually shows he's got a big ego because he thinks it's all about him. <laughs> I don't know which one it shows. Yeah. But either way, yeah, it's funny. I mean, guys are like that. I was like that. I used to watch my dad, and when things didn't go good and he was in a road game, I would go to a new room in the house. Like, I really would. I always yeah. would. My, his last game ever was against the San Francisco 49ers. Ricky Waters had five touchdowns. I would hit every ho- room in the house that day. They lost, like, 42 to something to Steve Young and company in 1993. I, I, I was like, well, okay, 14-0. I got I to gotta change the room. And then I went there. It was 21-0. I was like, oh, shit, this room's not good either. And then it was like 42-0. No, I was we like, need right, a new house. I need a new house. <laughs> Get us out of here, Dad. Uh, so uh, that's the way fans are. Yeah, and in football especially, you you become, you know, uh, what is that, superstitious. 100%, yeah. any sport, really, but yeah, yep. football too. And so and so, Big Buck Chuck wanted to turn the tide, but there were several fans who thought it was over, and they were tweeting out that it was over. So if you're watching here on YouTube, we're showing a few of them. Here is uh, Willie Colon, bye-bye Kansas City. That was done, boom, blew him up. That was <sighs> at uh, 320, something like that. John, the AFC South, the premier division in professional football, more and more people are talking about it. A lot of people were saying that. Is that, about, uh, is that, is that a Houston. Donald Trump quote there? Like, more and more people? Like, I don't even get oh. that. <laughs> and Whoa. Then, uh, there's the Jordan face on Patrick Mahomes with the Mahomes. Crying me. Nikki Chavanel, you were wrong about that one. I mean, we, we single these people out, but really we were all, maybe not you because you're in the, the fan, the president of the Mahomes fan group. I wasn't panicked because of what I said. There's a difference between being down 24 nothing. When it's self-inflicted mistakes, I was panicked. Don't get me wrong. I shouldn't say that. But I knew there was still a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a, like I said, it's a difference between doing 24 nothing and you've messed up than 24 nothing and we haven't had any mess-ups and they're right. just like 10 yards, 12 yards, 10 yards, 12 yards, you know, three and out, 10 yards, 12 yards. And then that's a difference. If it was like that, I would have gone, oh, shit, they're done. It's over. But it wasn't like that. And we all know how quickly they can score. And it was just about getting that play. And that I've never seen a game. I just say this, dude. Never seen a game that had more special teams yeah. plays yeah. that dictated the flow and energy of a football game. It was unreal that way. Uh, but Kansas City, it just you know, they're tough. Their coach doesn't panic. Mahomes is unreal. And they got playmakers, Ahmed. You know, that's why you draft playmakers. And they have a credible eye for it because, oh, things aren't going good. Somebody will make a play to jumpstart us. 
And we've seen for the last two years that somebody usually does. They get it going. And whether the play is there to be had or not, their actual talent gets them over the hump when some things aren't there to be had. And that got them going, the McCall Hardman return. And they uh, really were never the same after that. And you know how you do your thing with the quarterback rankings every year? Yeah. Where you do the top 40. And it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with their past accolades. Right. It's like if I had a team this year – and wanted a quarterback, here's who I'd pick, top yeah. five. And I did this last year with, with head coaches, Yeah. and I put Andy Reid number one. Right. Because I felt like if I have a random team yeah. with random talent, it's not necessarily Tom Brady, I don't know who I have Yeah, yeah, okay, got you. I got a got random you. team. Yeah. Who's the number one coach I'd want coaching that team? A lot of people say Bill Belichick. Maybe they're right. Yeah. I said Andy Reid because we've seen him do it with multiple quarterbacks. Yes. Multiple ways. Yes. Alex I, Smith, Donovan McNabb. Listen, I don't think Al you're Patrick crazy for Mahomes. that. Yeah. It's just that he seems to be able to get the best out of his talent. Doesn't have the postseason success like yeah. Belichick, yeah. obviously, but he gets it done multiple ways and, and did it again. Yeah, he does it through game planning, his attitude. His attitude rubs off on his players. It it encourages like, oh, let's not be let's not be scared in the big moment. Let's let's go for it, you know? And that's the way is sometimes he's so much like that that he messes up in big moments sure. because you just go, no, just run the ball, please. And he's like throwing a 50-yard bomb down the field still. But he's aggressive, and it lends to his plays, players playing free and never feeling that pressure. And, uh, you know, that's a big credit to him that they hung in there. And, you know, I felt bad for the Texans, but the Texans clearly were not the better football team on the field that day. I don't know what else to say. And as you can see, the Kansas City Chiefs are a different team. Yeah. You know, their offense is good. We know that. They can pass protect. Their D-line, you know, hey, it wasn't like the first time around. Carlos Hyde wasn't like moving the pile at six and seven yards a chunk. This D-line in Kansas City, even without Chris Jones, has depth and size. And that's the amazing thing about the win yesterday. We could sit here and argue that Chris Jones is the second best player in the Kansas City Chiefs. For them to do what they did, against that team without maybe without definitely their best defensive player was amazing. Frank Clark, got to give him a shout-out. He played the best game of his Kansas City Chiefs career. And the other thing they did, Ahmed, that was impressive to me on the defensive side of the ball, I've talked about Spagnolo. He changes up coverages, does all these different things. I always love that about him. You know, they doubled Hopkins in a few plays that were big and things like that. But they were really good in their pass rush. Now, I know Watson made a few runs, but it was a lot of work to make those runs. It was different than the Patrick Mahomes runs where he just looked downfield at the first guy and was like, oh, nothing's there. Whoa, the Red Sea parted. Let me run. Deshaun Watson was like, whoa, nobody's open downfield. Whoa, I'm going to dance for seven minutes and run in a circle like a chicken yeah. with his head cut off. And then maybe he got around the corner for six yards because they did what we've talked about on Sunday Night Football a lot. They never let their defensive ends go past Mahomes really, for the good part of the day. They stay, I mean, Watson, Watson, excuse me. Yeah, they tried to corral him and keep him in the pocket and didn't open up lanes, and that was a big part of the game as well because they saw Buffalo get burned with that crap last week. Because you think about it, I mean, the Texans scored 31 for the game, but it was 24 nothing just like that so yes. without the defense stepping up. And, yep. and you, know, you look up at the scoreboard and you go, oh, God, it's 24. It's demoralizing, but they really turned it around just like the offense did. 51-31. Chiefs get the win. Anything more you'd nah, say about that? Nah, I think that we one? hit it off. That was a good one, though. Let's go to the other AFC matchup with the uh, Titans and the Ravens. And before we get into this one, okay, there was some trash talking at the end of this one for the for the Titans and Tajay Sharp. Did you see oh, that? I did see this. Here it is. You want to introduce y'all? We got the NFL Russian leader. If anybody got a problem with that, you come see me. We bout that. Big trust. Woo woo. King Henry in the flesh. Woo, woo. 
It's all jokes. It ain't nothing. It's all jokes. <laughs> Look at him. He's big. What? He's a giant human being. He is. I mean, his arms, everything. It's outside linebacker, like defense end playing tailback. Do you want to do it? You, you, I had a little game for you on Derrick Henry. Well, do first, it right yes, but first thing I just well, want to say this is yeah. like that put Derrick Henry in an uncomfortable spot. He, he had to go up there and immediately go, we're just joking. Yeah, because he's from Alabama. Jokes. He came right after Mark Ingram. If yeah, you see, right. if you watch the game, right after the game is over, they sit there and talk on the field forever. So I'm sure, like, he's like, damn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to answer this. Now, this is what football players do. And it's not, like, disrespectful to Mark Ingram. And, and Derrick Henry's right. But it, were people probably doing that in the locker room this week in Houston to make fun of Mark Ingram? I mean, uh, you know, in, in Tennessee? Yeah. Sorry. To mark, fake, make fun of Mark Ingram and stuff? Yes, they probably were. That's how teams get motivated. That's what things get do. Oh, he's a dork. We're going to smash his face. Freaking dork. Like, I mean, that's just the way football players are. It's yeah. not personal against Mark Ingram. Yeah. All right, we'll play your it game. It was funny, though. It. So, okay, so Derrick Henry, he did it again. Yeah. 195 Oops, yards. He did it again. So I wanted to play a little game with you. with my heart. A little would you rather. Got lost in the game. Oh, wow, you know it word for Ooh, word. baby, baby. Do the whole thing. No, <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, we have to pay for it. All right, sorry, one. go ahead. <laughs> uh, would you rather, yeah. for Derrick Henry, would you rather, I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five different scenarios here. What, why are you looking at me? Because like I'm, I'm like, where is this going? Okay, <laughs> five different scenarios. Would you rather tackle Derrick Henry or escape from an unblocked Jadeveon Clowney? Which one? So this is the, here's the situation. Yeah. Your life depends on it. Okay. You have you have a choice of one or the other. Right. You have to pick which one you think you're most likely to accomplish. So either because if you don't tackle Derrick Henry or escape an have, unblocked Jadeveon Clowney, you have Clowney? one chance to tackle Derrick Henry or get away from an unblocked Jadeveon Clowney and if you fail, you die. I would rather I would rather escape an unblocked Jadeveon Clowney. You think you'd have a better chance at that? I do. I feel like, you know, defensive ends are so like, oh, I'm going to kill the quarterback that you can give them the okey-doke when you see them unblocked and they're yeah. coming at you, you know, because they can't wait to kill the quarterback. Like, there's no avoiding. If I have to tackle them, uh -huh. yeah, I can go low. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to make the tackle. It also means I can probably get concussed with his knee hitting me in the head as he runs me over. Yeah. Uh, I, I would rather take my yeah luck with uh, dodging your Put your life and your escapability. Uh, yes. The hands of yes. your escapability. Yes. All right. What about uh, would you rather tackle Derrick Henry, your life depends on it, or have one chance to throw it 70 yards in the air right now, not in Denver? You don't get to be in Denver. <laughs> But you have a chance you can throw it 70 yards in the air right Damn, now. Damn, like right now. Like I don't right get, get my arm in shape or anything, huh? Like I don't know if I can throw it 70 anymore. I'm not – I don't think I can so you'd actually. you have to try to tackle Derrick I'd have Henry. to try to tackle Derrick Henry okay. on that one. I would, yes. Run a 5-0 40-yard dash. Ooh. Right or now. Or tackle Derrick Henry. Yep. I, I think I I think I could do the five. I you think do? I, I think I could. What I were think. You, what were you at your peak? Uh, I like I would say high to mid four sevens okay. somewhere in there. I still Ooh. run sprints. I'm kind of a nerd. You're right. It's okay. dicey. It's dicey. It's dicey. You're, we're talking three tenths off your off your career best, <laughs> and you die if you do. <laughs> uh, but then you have to tackle Derrick Henry. Uh, yes. Okay. What about? Uh, Either tackle Derrick Henry right. or, for one full year, defend ranking Tom Brady the 20th best quarterback in 2020. <laughs> oh, well, oh, that's 
Uh, that's coming this year. <laughs> so, you think he's going to be that low? Well, oh, I mean, he's okay. not going to be in the top 15 or 16. Ooh, I can already tell I you that. There's a, that's not happening. I he didn't play wait. like a top half of football quarterback. You're right. So, uh, yes, uh, right. I, I guess I'm going that way. You know there. what's funny with that? I was thinking about that. Right. Because what was the whole thing? It was 2019. It was who are the best quarterbacks in 2019 when it's all said and I've done. I've been so justifiably, like, I was so right. It's have fucking people, scary. Have like, people come back and said, I, am, I apologize I to you? I am the Oracle. <laughs> I hope people have, have they written no. on Twitter and no, said, I No, I'm still was mad wrong. at people in this office that they're Patriots fans. They won't still give me the credit or say apologize for being a jerk to me when I first did it. You were probably too high on them. Like, was, nine pro- like uh, when it's all said and done now, yeah. for 2019, yeah. he probably was not the ninth best quarterback. No, yet. no, he definitely was not. I think if I did another, like, you know, in ranking review. around, like, week 12 or week 14 and went yeah. totally off that, yeah, there's no way he would have been in the top ten. No okay. way. You're, you're justified. Yeah. You're vindicated. Thank you. Uh, final one. Yeah. Would you rather uh, tackle Derrick Henry, get one shot at that, or you get one shot of pronouncing D. Hunter for the Vikings, his first name. <laughs> Daniil. While... Daniil. Oh, I did it. You I did practiced it. enough. <laughs> I practiced enough. You and did I'm it. very angry at Miss Hunter for spelling that name as in Danielle, like my wife, and yeah. calling oh, it Daniil. Oh, that's why you have. That's it's very right. confusing to me. Yes. No respect. Uh, uh, no disrespect, Daniil. So, but I got that one down. What it's we... almost as scary as Ahmed. <laughs> right. It, which is uh, Ahmad, Ahmed, I was Ahmed. scared as shit as, you're the, as our first few podcasts went I, under the way. I've mispronounced it, too. So what we're seeing from Derrick Henry right now, how, how special is it? How much is it Derrick Henry, and how much of it is the line? Yeah. How much of it is what they're doing? I mean, they're giving him the ball 30 times a game, right. and so it's wearing down the defense. Like, well, how special is this? What they're well, seeing yeah, right but it's 30 times a game, but, I mean, like we saw the other night, a lot of the damage was done, you know, with carries 1 through 20, really, right? And same with, actually, the Patriots game. I mean, he didn't go off in the second half. It was really the first half. So, uh, man, Ahmed, their O-line has been so impressive. I mean, it really has. They're getting their money's worth out of some investments. I mean, they paid Roger Saffold like he was one of the better guards in football. They got Ben Jones at center a few years ago in free agency from the Houston Texans, I believe. If my memory serves me correct there, I'm, I'm, I got too many people going in my head here. Yeah. And then, of course, top 10 picks with Taylor Lewan and Conklin at the tackle position. You know, they've been playing phenomenal. So there's no, you can't take that away from them. I wouldn't have thought in a million years that they could run the way they ran against the Baltimore Ravens defense. You know that. That's why, I, I mean, I thought the Ravens were going to win this game by at least two touchdowns. Matt, like, Matt Judon was unblocked on that big, long run. And he bounced off Derrick Henry. Him, like, yeah. bounced off him. And he's, what, 265? I mean, so O-line's playing great. And then Derrick Henry never misses a hole, okay? And then he has freakish ability. He's got great patience. He's got very good vision. He really understands where they run the outside zone play. And a lot of these big runs we're seeing are all on the outside zone. And, hey, if they get the reach block and kind of seal out the edge, he stays running outside. But as soon as he sees, ooh, we didn't, we didn't seal the edge and we're, I'm not going to get outside and the linebackers have flowed too fast, man, he can put his foot in the ground and really – I don't think TV does him justice for how fast he's moving. You know, with big people like that. He he doesn't look fast at all. He doesn't look fast until you see people chasing him, right? And then you're going, man, nobody's catching him. Right. Right. He's not moving his legs fast enough to be going that fast. But he's covering so much ground with each stride. He's just uh, one of the freakiest people we've ever seen. He had the most embarrassing stiff arms ever on Earl Thomas that just turned them all around. And that was (laughs) was hilarious. That was crazy. And do uh, do we have the uh, the Earl Thomas? So Earl Earl (laughs) Thomas did some talking. 
before it was before earlier the game, in the year. Oh. And he did it before earlier in the week too. So this is after week twelve. Okay. Remember this when he said, uh, "When the Super Bowl comes, whoever we play, they're going to be in trouble." Wow. So Earl Thomas said that wow. back in back in week twelve, very confident. And then last Tuesday on Derrick Henry. He said the Patriots didn't seem too interested in tackling him. I think our mindset is a little different. Yeah. Um, I mean, the mindset might have been different. The results weren't. I, you know, they could say whatever they want. I, I don't know. Baltimore, I, you know, again, they, they seemed certainly rusty. So certainly. That's what people think. They think that week 17, you rest all your starters, yeah. knowing that you have another week with the bye. Right is a problem, and it's going to be dangerous, and you're going to be rusty. In that first quarter, it looked like they were rusty, although Lamar Jackson said they came out too amped. They say they came out too excited. It wasn't that they were slow and sluggish. He thought they were the opposite. They were, they were too amped. I, 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 I could see that. You know, well, think about it this way. Like, the offense really wasn't stopped, the Ravens. They continued to move the ball. Think about it. First drive, they're going down the field. He throws a ball high to Mark Andrews, intercepted. Then he gets the penalty on top of that, right? Yeah. Ravens do a good job, third down. Tannehill throws a, a fade ball down the left, you know, left sideline in the end zone. Jonu Smith catches it with one hand and gets his left ass cheek on the, to be in bounds. I mean, that's just a player making a play. That's not being out-coached or out-schemed. You know, uh, Brandon Carr was there. Okay, the guy just made a great play. You know, the second drive, they're going down again. Now, this is where I disagree with John Harbaugh. I, I did not like this call. The fourth and one on their own 45-yard line. And I know everyone's going to go, okay, Baltimore, yes, Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. He's done this all year. Eight for eight. I get it. I get it. and one. I get it. And this is, this is a tough one to me. But to me, this goes back to you need to read the tea leaves of the moment right there and see where your team is at and the game is at. One, I don't think you can unequivocally at that point just say, oh, we're dominating the line of scrimmage and we're going to do whatever we want. All right? That hadn't come about yet. Two, to what our, your point you're just saying, they really hadn't played a meaningful game since week 16. They've had three weeks off. So they might not be rolling. Four, three, they're playing the hottest team in the sport maybe. I mean, there's, there's nobody hotter. And, you know, I just I look at it that way and just go, you know, that was a dicey decision. To me there, I err on conservative, especially when, I, when, you, feel, when I, you feel you're the better team. Yeah. Right? To me, that would have been another one where I would have gone, Punt it down there, pin them back. Your defense is great. There was nothing on the drive before that told you, oh, the Tennessee Titans offense is going to give us problems today. We hadn't got there yet. It was only 7-0, and he threw a jump ball in the back left corner in the end zone, right? So you're not getting, like, dominated yet to me to where you panicked to make that move. Now, I know they did that all year, but I'm just saying I didn't love that so move. This that is was what, not my favorite. This is what I would say. So they're 8-for-8 yeah. eight eight on going for fourth and one. Right. You still have Lamar Jackson, yes. who seems like could get it 95% of the time without any blocking. Right. Uh, the times they did punt in the regular season, it was all in their own territory. Um, so this I, one was at the, the 45. Was that their yes. own 45? I don't think Lamar made the right move. So, like, they're pulling a guard from the left yeah. to the right, Ahmed, just so you know. He was supposed to go outside from everything the blocking tells me, and he decided to go somewhere in the middle. I think he thought he saw a soft spot, and he thought he would just jam it in there, and it just wasn't as soft as he thought. So he didn't follow his blockers, for one. That was one issue there. Yeah. But I just, I just, I, didn't, love, I just didn't love the play I like at that point. Bo- I like both of them, um, but I, I like coaches who are, who are, are aggressive. aggressive. I know you do. And this is the reason why, because I think a lot of people would have – said the opposite, like if you have all year gone for it and you've been successful going for it, and then all of a sudden you get to the playoffs, you get a little nervous, you start playing conservative, you go, oh, wow, they played scared. 
John Harbaugh all of a sudden got to the playoffs, and he was faced with a fourth and one, went for it all regular season, and here they are in the playoffs, and, oh, yep, they, they played scared and didn't go for it. So I think I get just you. as easily people could have been saying that. I get you. My, my logic. Should, that, that team with Lamar Jackson should, and they did, get fourth and one. 95% of the day. I know. I know. And it's, it's, this is not like a full Tropic Thunder moment. We've seen – I'm not saying this is like the worst decision in the world. Uh, my, again, my thought is more that this is not the regular season. Yeah. It's the playoffs. It's more interesting that they weren't able to get those. It, 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 know, it, it was. I mean, yes, you're right. It, it is interesting. The Tennessee Titans have big people, so they were able to stand in there and kind of withstand the power of the uh, Ravens, you know, run game straight ahead. But – you know, the thing I just look at, again, like, you know, regular season's different than, than, the, than the playoffs. You know, teams and defensive coordinators go for broke more in the playoffs. They'll do things that they maybe not would have done in the regular season because they just go, man, this is poses issues with us, but I got to go for it here because I don't want to get burned by it or whatever else, or we're going to be at home anyway. So they, they go for it in those types of those situations. So I don't love it because of that. And like I said, it's, this is a team that came in that's hot and battle-tested and really already played two playoff games because they had a win week 17, yeah. and then they had a win last week in New England, of course, to where your team has not like got their, their battle-tested gear on quite yet. And that, that's where I just didn't love it. Do you think they cost themselves by resting them all week 17? Well, I mean, it's hard to uh, – yeah, I do. I do. I yeah. do, yes. And then, I, not to say I was against it at the time. I, I, I had no problem at the time. Because they were banged up going into Week 17. They were. Right? I Which understand like it. sustain more injuries. I understand it. But, you know, I mean, yeah, they, they were rusty. You know, Lamar made a few bad plays. Um, but the thing with that is, so then there again, the Titans haven't had to go the field yet. They haven't done anything. And you're going to give them, oh, hey, just in case you guys weren't confident. Yeah. Here you go. Here's confidence on a platter for you. And then they dial up a play to go for the jugular. And he hits, you know, the, what is it, Khalif Raymond, the kid he hit for the deep post. Khalif Raymond, yeah. Yeah, for the 45-yard touchdown pass. One catch for only catch of the game for him, 45-yard touchdown. So even with saying that, though, they're not stopping Baltimore. Baltimore goes down, gets a field goal, had some drop passes. Okay, so that was another issue. You know, Seth Roberts drops a deep cross that might score. Yep. You know, Willie Sneed drops a third down pass, and they might get the first down for it, right? So they settle for a field goal. Yeah. Then they stop him, right? Then they go down and get a field goal before the half. And that's what you and, and I think that was that's the thing what too. I'm trying the, to say. The field goals. Too, I mean, if they go down and convert, that's what Kansas City did, right? right? Kansas City wasn't going down and converting field goals. Yeah. They were converting them into touchdowns. Yes. And. The funny thing is you look back on this game, and at the time when you're watching it, you're like, wow, they're down 14 nothing. They're out of this thing. They might not be able to come back. And then you go back and you, you watch what happened in Kansas City, and you're like, why were we thinking that Baltimore, with the dynamic offense, with the MVP, why were we thinking that 14 really should be that insurmountable? But it felt like it, and I think in part because they were settling for field goals well, along yeah. the way. Yeah, I think you're right. But to that point, there it is. It's like 14-6, and really the Titans' offense hasn't really sustained a drive yet during the game. Yeah. So that's why I would say, like, I didn't like the fourth down decisions. And specifically, don't like the start of the third quarter fourth, fourth down decision. I don't. So, I mean, start of the third quarter. They drive down again, right, to start the third quarter. 18-yard line, fourth and one. Just go up 14, make it 14-9. You're the better team, and you're starting to get settled into the game. Yeah. That just, that's my thought. 
And I'm, again, I, I know this is second guessing on a Monday. I, I get it. Monday morning quarterback. Yeah, I'm if playing you Monday will. morning quarterback. But yeah. you're going to see other decisions that I agree with here as we go along from certain coaches and things like that. I'm not like I have my reasoning for that, but that would be my thoughts there. And to your point, like why you thought that? Why did you think that? Because we haven't seen Baltimore down since their last loss against the so Cleveland I'm, Browns. I'm curious about that. So 12-game yeah. winning streak. Yeah. They've trailed six times. Okay, there uh, you go. In six games here, never right. by more than seven. Right. So you're right. They hadn't really faced this, certainly obviously not with the stakes this high. 6-0, 7-6. So they hadn't trailed in the second half since week five. Right, against the Steelers, who didn't have an offense, so you're not daunted by that. So it's almost, you do hear this sometimes where, you know, the coaches say, you know, it might be good for us to lose and get beat up a little bit. Or be behind and see how you react. Which the 49ers have had, you know, you look at the the team, the one seat over in the other conference, they've had that. They have had that. And they've come through, and they've also not come through. And maybe that's put them in a stronger position. Like, you never want to lose, right? And now we're kind of just looking for reasons why it didn't work out for the Ravens here. But who knows? Maybe that's one of it that they were in an unfamiliar spot. Yeah, no, I I think it did get them out of their comfort zone. I think, you know, also to like what you're saying, I think they panicked. I think they were a little bit like, wait, we steamroll everybody. Have you not paid attention to us the last 14 weeks of the year? Yeah. I think they were like, what the fuck is going on here? Because Lamar was visibly frustrated. It was almost like they were like, ah, what's – this is all falling apart. Definitely. So then they don't make the fourth down, right? Then the big break. Now they break a run. Now they go down and score to make it 21-6. to six, And you're yeah. going, whoa. And then Lamar does press. The next drive is he holds the ball. There's nobody open. And he kind of – he's so desperate to make a play, he kind of loses track of who's around him in the pocket. He just made a guy miss. But, like, hey, they're going to come back and still try to get you just because they missed you. But he kind of kept patting the ball, waiting to make a big throw, strip sack fumble, blah, 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 28-6. to six. Game over. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. This is – Shocker. So like, the shocker. last time a 14-2 and two team Ooh, was one and done okay. in the playoffs. Okay, let me see. Don't, don't tell me. I'm not even 14 looking. 14-2 or two are better. Don't hide it because I don't want to see it. This team was actually better than four. This team was 15-1. and 15-1? and one? Oh, you're talking about the Packers 2011. That they lost it. to the Giants. Yep. Hail Mary at mm-hmm. the end of the first half. Kind of similar to the Titans here, right? A 9-7 and seven Giants team. You're right. Hot at the right time. And it's the same thing that I'll think of. Bill Parcells had a quote in the paper that week week when the Giants went up up and beat Green Bay and I'll never forget this and it really rang true to me he had a quote here in in the papers in New York where he went Green Bay went out there to put on a show and the Giants went out there for a fight Hmm. and I feel like that's what happened in this game the tenant you know Baltimore just kind of came out hey we're Baltimore we're gonna we're gonna put out a show and show everybody how we're awesome and and Tennessee was like, nope, let's strap it up tight. We're coming in with the between-the-tackles run game, up yours, and here we come. So the Titans, I saw this stat on, uh, on Twitter, ESPN Stats and Info. They're the third team since 1970 to beat the number one scoring offense, the Ravens, Yeah. number one scoring defense, the Patriots, in the same postseason. The other two teams? Ooh, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Third team since 1970? You're not going to get this. To beat the number one scoring offense, scoring offense and number one scoring defense in the same postseason. Ooh, Okay, not the Ravens from a few years ago. No. Okay. I don't. There's okay, no way go you ahead. Get this. All right, fine. Go. But ahead. the other two teams that have done it did yeah. win the Super Bowl. It wasn't the Ravens of 2012. No, they didn't do it. 
All right, 1988 49ers. 49ers. And the 2004 Patriots. 2004. So the 1988 49ers beat what? The Rams, who were the number one scoring? You don't even know I those. Didn't go that, I didn't go that far. Yeah, 2004 I didn't think you'd Patriots. Ask <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. But good stat, though. <laughs> good. I mean, like, right? Pretty amazing. That is amazing. You beat the best offense out there. You beat the best defense, and they're rolling. I mean, no one's going to. You're not going to be shocked. They're not going to be favored against the Chiefs. I don't know what the line is right now, but yeah. you're not shocked with the, this Titans team, the way they're playing, the way they can run the ball. And honestly, we haven't seen the best of Ryan Tannehill yet. And I think he, he can win a game with his arm. Definitely. Oh, no doubt about it. And there's no doubt. I mean, they, he really hasn't had to to this point. You know, and, you know, again, those are like, yeah, he's 2-0 and in the playoffs. Just made like three or four <laughs> plays. Right. You shake your head because you go. That, that's why I always say it's ridiculous when we give all the credit it to is. the quarterback. You know, four years from now, we're all going to look back and go, Ryan Tannehill is 2-0 and that year in the playoffs. Yeah, I know. But he's thrown for 150 total yards so far. Like, yeah, I know. So that's where I always get frustrated with the whole quarterback thing. Let me give you one more thing here. Because yeah. the Ravens, they tried to stop Henry by stacking the box. Yes. They had uh, eight or more defenders in the box 63% of the time. Right. The average that Henry faced this year was 37. So it was almost twice as many times. They're stacking the box against him. He had 124 yards and 19 carries, six and a half yards per carry when they did that. Yep. So, I mean, if, if that's not going to work, how do, the, how do the Chiefs slow him down? The, the, well, I'll I say the, the zone scheme – I think got the Ravens a little bit because, you know, you've heard me say the Ravens are so big, so powerful, and this is what I didn't do but take into account. You know, the inside-outside zone scheme is not their cup of tea. Mm. You know, they're not made to, like, athletically go down the line of scrimmage and try to stop the zone. And when he did, okay, yeah, you got out there to stop the zone. Like we said, he put on the brakes and would make a cutback, and they're not that fast in the front seven to adjust off of it. I think that's what jumps out to me. Kansas City's front is – Every bit as good as Baltimore at stopping the run. I think actually they have a better, maybe not quite the size of Baltimore, but a little more athleticism, and especially if they have Chris Jones. Uh, Kansas City, I'll say it, you know, maybe it's the second week in a row. I would be shocked if the Tennessee Titans run the ball the way they had the last three weeks against the Kansas City Chiefs. We'd be shocked, hmm. but we'll see. Right. If they prove me wrong, they're going to the Super Bowl. Anything more on that game? Yeah, I think we hit it all. That was good. Yeah. All right. Let's go over to the NFC. Oh, baby. Time to go to the NFC. Oh, baby. And we will start with the game you were not at. Yeah, oh, I was uh, not at Thankfully, because it was like, what, 23 degrees I there? can handle it. I'm tough. No, I don't know that you can do that, though. I saw you at some Notre Dame games, and you were very bundled <laughs> yeah. up. Very bundled up. <laughs> Your gloves were yeah. giant. Thank you. Like seven jackets and a scarf. Yes. But it was cold in Green Bay. Yep. But that was a really fun game to watch because you got to watch two of the two of the greatest that have ever done it. Yep. No question. The quarterback position. Yep. And with Russell Wilson, I was watching the game. Right. And, and it reminded me of – of playing a video game. You know how you, you would play a video game against the computer right. and you get out to a big lead, right. but then the computer starts cheating so it's not a blowout and right. you know, it does stuff that it didn't do earlier. Yeah, right, game. right. Like, oh, I thought this was going to be a blowout. That's like Russell Wilson. Yeah. It's like you can never blow him out because he will bring his team back in the game, and he did it again in Green Bay. He's, he's unbelievable. And, and listen, there was no answers found by that offense when they came back, okay? There was nothing like, Oh, Brian Schottenheimer figured it out. No, it was just Russell Wilson going, all right, screw it, guys. I'm going to make it happen. And that's really all that happened. There's no other way for me to say it. The one thing I'll give Brian Schottenheimer and the Seattle Seahawks offense credit, hey, the receivers made some plays, did all that. The least the thing they stayed consistent with a little bit in the second half is play actions and boots still a little just to get Russell on the edge, a few completions here and there like that, got him on the edge for run pass, right, or just getting out of the pocket 
to create some lanes, to make some throws. That was the good thing they did. But, like, you're right. They're, I mean, it's, a, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it's just it's amazing how they never feel out of it, and they shouldn't. Uh, but their offense doesn't know favors. It's almost like a role reversal. That's all I'll say before I, cu- I know I yeah. cut you off. But, like, it's like this is like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson four years ago where it was the other way around where I wanted to go, man, can they help out Aaron Rodgers? Does he have to do everything? And then I was like, Russell Wilson at least has a defense and a run game. Now it's the other way around. Yeah. You know, Rodgers has a little defense in a run game. And Seattle, it's just like, fuck, if Russ doesn't do it, they can't win a game. They had more of a run game when, when Carson was playing before yes, he got hurt. But they've fallen apart in the run game. And the Packers did what we've been asking. They aired, they did not go like Johnny Meathead and go, we're gonna stop Marshawn Lynch and put nine guys in the line of scrimmage. He's not gonna run against us. No, they kept two safeties back. They played it really smart. They never really let them hit that big 60-yard post or anything like that. So I really give Mike Pettin a lot of credit for, you know, not being overzealous. I think for seeing the big picture and maybe going, you know what, I think the only thing that can beat us is lock it and DK Metcalf yeah. deep. Let's not let that happen. Probably figured they could control the run game with the guys And up they front, did. They did. Which I think is the mistake that Seattle made early in the game. Because you see, I mean, a lot of heat... You, you got to establish the run game. Yeah, right. Well, they're old school the way they approach it. I know. Seven plays into the game, four of them were Marshawn Lynch for nine yards. Right. I think that was a mistake. I hear you. It's it's not like – it's all equal, right? You can score – touchdowns in the first quarter you can score it in the fourth quarter and they all add up to the final score so if you're giving away possessions where you're like if you have Russell Wilson and you know that he Mm -hmm. can he's your team I know from the opening whistle you're in a playoff game in Green Bay if you rush it three times the whole game because you got Marshawn Lynch and you just don't think you can do it yeah Run it three times all game. Yeah, I, I, that's uh, that would be my quibble with with their. Game I get plan, you, and your and your guard, one of your starting run. guards is not playing, so and you, now the backup is not playing too. So you're on your third string guard. So you're not doing your best stuff early in the game, and it ends yeah. up losing by five. Yeah, I, well, I this is a Seattle issue. They they do this too much, and there's too much pressure on Russell Wilson, to where you know a lot of people I know I hear this too. Like, why doesn't Russell Wilson do this in the well? You know, the way he's playing at the end is out of desperation. He's been backed into a corner, so he has to play that way. Like, he doesn't want to start out a game that way. You know, when you start out a game plan that way, that's the day all of a sudden the scheme works and there was people open. And you're like, man, you missed him, but you were too busy scrambling or running around. Yeah. Like, no, he lets it naturally come that way. And this is Pete Carroll. He wants to play through the run game and defense and all that. But, yes, it handicaps them in a game like this. It definitely did because they ran into a team that was going, oh, okay, we don't think your run's that good. They stopped the big pass plays like we talked about. And then they had an offensive coordinator in Lafleur who had some creative things the first few drives, and Rodgers and Aaron Jones, and they made some plays. And all of a sudden you look up and you go, fuck, we're down 21-3. to three. And now he's like, all right, I guess I got to let it go. And, and that's the frustrating thing about them, and that's the way they played all year. That's the way they do it. But, yeah, if they want to continue to play through Russell Wilson and he's going to be the star of your team, they need to have more pass concepts. They probably need to get another weapon at receiver. If this is the way you're going to play – or you have to dramatically change and improve your defense this offseason because that's the issue there, too. It's just not talent. All the things we talked about with Seattle all year long, the secondary can't play man-to-man. Anytime they had to play man-to-man, what was it? Big play by Green Bay in a big moment. All those third downs at the end of the game, whatever it may be, they just don't have enough people that can do that. The scheme's predictable. They changed up a few things with the scheme this week. I'll give them some credit there. But, you know, it's like at some point in the NFL, every team's going to see their kryptonite. And Seattle found their kryptonite on, on Sunday night. Do you have to apologize 
for calling the Packers the worst number two seed you've ever seen? Probably, yes. You do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just wasn't sure, yeah. I mean, I, I made a bold statement like that. and They uh, showed you something that you didn't think they would show you. You weren't, you weren't surprised they would win this game. Though, I'm not right? surprised. No, I picked Seattle to win a field goal game. And I'm yeah. mad because I made bets with friends early in the week, and I took the fucking Packers. And as I got to, like, Wednesday night and Thursday morning, and I was going to have to make a pick, I overthought it and went over to Seattle. I went, you yeah, know, Russell Wilson, Jadavion Clowney. Man, I just think they're going to make a play or two. And, you know, there we were at 28-23. Like it was like fourth and one. You'd been going for it all year, and then you punt it in the playoffs. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. Uh, well, it's, it's been two teams I haven't had a good feel for either, uh, either way the whole yeah. year. Um, and, yeah, I guess I just wasn't sold on Green Bay's toughness and whether they could win the games the way they've been winning them against a, game, a team like Seattle. I guess I had more faith in Seattle winning those type of games. But I was wrong, and uh, my favorite quarterback ever proved me wrong, and I can deal with that. Yeah, I want to talk about kind of the defense, too, for the Packers. Yeah. Zadarius Smith yep. and Preston Smith. Amazing. Two of the most impactful free agents this offseason. Right. right. And they, they both had an impact in this game for the Packers. A four-year deal for Zadarius for $66 million. Preston also got a four-year deal for $52 million in the yep. offseason. And then they both end up with career-high numbers and sacks. And you see what they did in this game. I mean, does, is it too simplistic to say those two guys are the reason that the Packers are, are moving on, at least what they were able to do to slow down Russell Wilson and that offense enough? I, I think game? so, yeah. From player perspective, I think they changed the mantra of their defense and their team a little bit to be like, oh, no, hey, like we got more of a, like an FU in-your-face physical personality on defense. You know, the other guys I'd give credit to are Mike Pettin for having the vision to how to use them and – Probably tell a Gutenkust, like, hey, I'd love to get an outside linebacker like these two guys in free agency. They got it done, so Goody deserves credit. LaFleur for playing a style that fits Mike Patton's defense, too, and having the vision to, you know, a lot of things, whether it's the toughness through the run game, that's what he's instilled in the Packers, to also letting Rodgers have some leeway in the audibles. I mean, but I think those would be the things that, yeah, the Smiths, Patton, LaFleur, Goody, those are all guys who deserve a lot of credit for what the like the turnaround has been in Green Bay this year. No doubt about that. Can I give a can I give a damn okay? Yeah. Do we please. have the song? Pete? If we're gonna do it, we Oh, hold, hold on. on. Oh, wait, Pete Dim a little lightest. He wasn't ready for this. I've thrown everyone off here. Pete Dim a little little lightest. Looking for the track. You need to, uh, you know what you need to do? Come out with a second track on Damo. Okay, okay, I will. I'll the try to. original, and now we need, like, the remix version. Well, one thing before you start it. LaFleur oh. stole a few plays from Shanahan and what he did against <laughs> Seattle. So you saw that. Like, LaFleur, of course, comes from Kyle Shanahan's coaching tree. So, yeah, he probably saw that and goes, ooh, that makes sense to fit in our offense. He did that. Had a few tendency breakers, yeah. I think, again, you know, to where – you know, hey, the Devontae Adams. The, the oh, last... don't, don't talk about him yet. Okay. Because I want to play the music Okay, first. fine. Go for it, Krista. Damn. I'm okay. Damn. I'm okay. Yeah, no, I mean, yes. I'm okay. The legal gambling. Oh, baby. I am Chris Sims. I'm okay. Damn. Okay. A player in the game that made me go... Damn. Okay. okay. Knew he was good. Yeah. But showed up in a big spot. Yes, he in did. In a big playoff game. Devontae Adams. Damn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, bald. Really. Now. And some good play design, like you were saying. Good play Matt design. Uh, but he's he's a really good player. You know, maybe I don't give him enough credit sometimes. Sometimes I don't say yards. he's like a game changer that way. Maybe I need to readjust my my thought on really? that. Really? Yeah, because I think what I look at it sometimes is I just go, 
I don't know if he's a game breaker to where you go, oh my gosh, we have to double. Now Seattle got out of their comfort zone. They doubled them a few times, which I give Seattle credit for. They usually don't do that type of stuff. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, he's talented. He's dependable. He's got a great connection and feel for Rodgers and Rodgers for him. And then you're right, some of the game plan plays. You know, they really did a good job. Hey, that last touchdown, okay, he, this is a play that Green Bay has run all year. He run, It's play action pass by Aaron Rodgers. Jimmy Graham's running the deep cross. And all year he's done this. He's run a deeper cross or like a post route over the top of it. He did what I just told you with Travis Kelsey a little while ago. He went, er, put the brakes on and went out. You don't think that was designed? You think that was It was designed read? this time. This oh. was designed. This wasn't like Kelsey reading it. Instead, this was like LaFleur going, hey, we've run this play a lot and you always do this. Let's do that this week. And Trey Flowers, who probably was told all week and scout team and covered it and saw it on film, he was running for that post like a bat out of hell. And then he stopped, and he couldn't stop. And all of a sudden, bam, he catches the ball with all that space, puts on the brakes again, cuts across the field, touchdown. That was a huge moment in the game, huge. 21-10, to 10, and you're thinking, ooh, okay, here comes Seattle. Watch out. It's the third quarter. And Rodgers had the unbelievable third down throw to Jimmy Graham down the middle where he ran like the deep cross post. And then he had that throw right there that, I, to me, that drive solidified the game, really. I mean, obviously it did. But that was a huge answer for a team that we know was starting to gain some momentum in Seattle. We can't talk about this game without talking about the final five minutes yeah. there for Seattle. Right. So you had some really bad play. The Malik Turner drop. Right. On the last possession. That right. would have been a 15-yard gain in yeah. Packers territory. The in-cut coming over the middle, right? That was bad. Yep. Green Bay's uh, Preston Smith got that sack on third down yes. to make it fourth and 11, 11 right. from their own 36. Right. And then what I think, and I, now I'm coming off as Mr. Aggressive here on this whole podcast, but fourth and 11, you got three minutes left. You do have all your timeouts. Right, and the two-minute warning. But you are punting to Aaron Rodgers. Right. And I think... It was a bad call. I think it was a bad call for Pete Carroll. And now you, okay. here's, the, here's the cool thing about it is that you've got thousands of NFL games and they, they run the numbers now of like, okay, the typical average team, if they go for it here, what are the chances they score? Da, 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 da. So they ran all those numbers, and it was funny. It made no difference on win expectancy, whether they punted right there huh. or went for it. That's it was actually equal. Wow. Because they had the same chance of winning no matter what they chose to do right wow. there. Wow. Which I think if given that information, if you're Pete Carroll, I think you probably do change your decision. Maybe, because yeah. Because I think you go, okay, so it's either equal whether I stick with my guy in Russell Wilson or try to get a stop of Aaron Rodgers. Maybe I roll the dice with my own guy then. Sure. Instead of trying to stop the other guy. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm actually shocked to hear that it's equal. Really? I what, am. What would you have guessed? I would have guessed that you still had a better chance of winning with punting the ball than yeah. going for it on fourth and eleven. You know, I would have. You know, again, it's 4th and 11. The chances of converting that are not good. You know, you've been stopped, what, the two drives before that? At least maybe one drive before that. Maybe but that say, was a – but either way – Say you don't get it, though, right? Okay. So they get the ball yes. at the 36-yard line. Right. They're going to run – they're going to play conservative. Right. All right, say they get five. You hold you – you need to stop anyway. Yeah. Whether you punt or right. give it up right there, you so need to stop. So now they kick the field goal and go up by eight? 48-yard field goal. But who's it's to say on third down they don't run the play that they run the Devontae Adams for 35 yards the next drive and then score a touchdown and the game's over? Yeah, no, they could. You know, so to me – But you also had the chance to convert on fourth and 11. You're which, right. Which is not a 0% chance. No, it's not a 0% chance. And I know you got Russell Wilson and all those things, but – 
you know, so first off, the third down sack, right? Hey, a fucking tight end covering Bach and Preston Smith. You know, I love that one. Yeah. Oh, oh, I drew the line there. Guys, we're good this week. We got, we got Preston Smith blocked. I drew a line, and yeah. we crossed it, and he's blocked. You draw the oh, line. Oh, that's right. Jacob yeah. Hollister's not really a blocking tight end, and he's going against one of the best passers. Oh, that's right. There's humans involved here. It's not just an X and a O. So that was stupid. That killed him. I'm not totally I, – I, I would have punted. I just, just would have. I Yes, I would have. First off, Green Bay hadn't scored since halfway through the third quarter. So they had made a number of stops at this point. And I think he's thinking, yeah, they're going to be a little conservative and it's probably just going to come down to one third down throw and he was hoping to get that stop. Now, well, they didn't. There's no other way to say it. And they actually got down to two third down throws. Yeah. The first one was the big game, the inside slot fade to Devontae Adams. Guess what? They're playing man-to-man and they can't play man. So that came back to bite them in the ass once U- again. Ugo Amadi, the rookie fourth rounder, was on. Uh, from Oregon, Adams. right? Is that, is is that where he's from? Really I think he's from Oregon. But either way, yes. So there, there, and that was a great play by Rodgers too. Not only the throw again, which was pinpoint, the nuance of what he did. Anybody go back and watch that? He knew he was going there. He gets the snap and he looks to his left because the safety was favoring Devonte Adams in the deep middle of the field. But since he licked left, looked left and gave it a good look. The safety moved over about five yards, and then he came back and boom, threw the ball just right, and the guy, you know, Devontae Adams goes out of bounds, blah, 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 gets the first down, and then the next third down. The next third down, man-to-man again, Mm -hmm. okay, and Rodgers gets pressure. Bobby Wagner puts a hell of a move on the center. I mean, gives him the old, like, and goes around him, and Rodgers has to throw it, like, fading away with his feet in the air. And he throws it a little low to Jimmy Graham. Yeah, they got a favorable spot. I don't think he got to the first down. They got a favorable spot. But they couldn't, you couldn't really tell where the ball was and all that stuff, and they got lucky. So, yeah, they got lucky there. But, like, don't give me, like, I, I don't want to hear, like, that was the difference in the game. No. The Packers got screwed over on the first drive of the game. The first play the Seahawks ran. Jacob Hollister fumbled. The Packers recovered it. And that was a bullshit call, too. So, you know, again, I'm not going to look at those type of calls. The Packers won the game. They outplayed them. They did the right things. Which is crazy to look back now at, at week <coughs> 17 and that inch on the goal line right? between Seattle game and changer. the 49ers. Yeah. Changed the, it changed the fate yeah. of 49ers, sure. of Green Bay, of Seattle. Yep. I mean, it's crazy to look back at that and how things may have been different if Hollister gets one extra inch no doubt. in the end zone. I know. I know. It's, it, is, it is crazy. But I still think we got the 49ers are still we're always the best team to me. And I think, you know, hey, Saturday helped prove that a little more, too. You want to talk about the 49ers? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go over. You were there. I was there. You were at Levi Stadium. I was there. You got to uh, enjoy the Bay Area, all the sights and smells. Oh, the smells me. were extraordinary. <laughs> Man, do I need to move to California. It felt like you were, uh, you were at home. It did. It felt like I was at home. So you said it at the top. You uh, the the Levi's crowd when it when the stadium was first built, people was like it's it's nice, it's state of the art. Yeah. It doesn't have the character of a candlestick. It doesn't have the noise of a candlestick. You thought it was loud. I thought were. it was incredibly loud. I couldn't get over it actually. I, and I think you know, uh, Liam and Mike Florio, we watched like the first quarter on the field together. I think we were all like, whoa, this like I don't know how you could hear anything. And you could tell that was an issue for Minnesota early. But I was really impressed. And I love the stadium. And, of course, 49er fans are, are very passionate. They always have been. You know, I grew up hating the 49ers, of course. They made me cry a lot with Joe Montana and beating <laughs> my dad and all that shit. But uh, it was a really cool atmosphere. Where would it rank in as the, the stadium, the atmosphere that you saw there, where would it rank as far as some of the 
loudest places that you ever played in. Okay, I'm in love with the stadium, first off. Levi's? I, I was before this. I have been there a few times. Yeah. I love that it's kind of clean. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not like, it's it's like got some really like white, almost modern-ish, right? Yeah. I like how all the press boxes and suites are on one side, like the Staples Center, like in like basketball, you know what I mean? I, kinda, I think it's kind of cool. And loud-wise, listen, I'm not going to sit here and say it was as loud as like, you know, the 12s in Seattle when I've been there before, or maybe even like the old RCA dome the Colts used to play in. Those were, like, I think, the two loudest places I was in my NFL career. I don't think it was as uh, – or, yeah, or I think it was louder than Arrowhead last year. Wow. I'm just saying that right now. I was in Arrowhead for divisional round last year. I think this was louder. Yes, I do. It gets a little hot in the summertime. The, yes, the it does. The one side of the stadium where right. the fans will bake. Yep. Yeah, somebody uh, like me, you caught me on the wrong bench. I'm going to get sun cancer that day. You would have come back red. Right. And the uh, the location's not – not nothing wrong with Santa Clara. No, I get not, you. It's, it's not, not in San, San Francisco. Francisco. Right, it's a right. long way away. I so hear you. But, yeah, good stadium there, good performance. Like, this was a dominating performance. The Vikings ran 46 total plays. 49ers ran 71. Yeah. I mean, the, the Vikings did not have a rushing first down all game. Like, this is the team that – if they're going to win the game, they're going to run the ball. They're going to use the play action off of that. Yeah, right. They could not get any of it going. Like, you look back at this game, the 49ers, they're not necessarily flashy. Yeah. They just dominate. They're just dominant. They're dominant. Just so much better. Well, here's like an in-person point of view. The yeah. first thing that jumps out at me more than anything. I mean, if you saw San Francisco in person, you'd go, whoa. I get how they can dominate because they got some, you know, they, they go back to the, like, the, you know, the bar fight test. You know, hey, you, you get in a fight. I mean, San Francisco's going to be in the final four or five. They just got between Buckner and Armstead and Bosa and D. Ford and, you know, even the way Quan Alexander and Jaquaski Tart look and Richard Sherman, who's a huge corner. And then you got McGlinchey, who's like a giant, and Joe Staley and Lakin Tomlinson, who's a huge guard. You know, you just look at those guys. Oh, and then there's George Kittle. So their look on the field, like Minnesota's impressive. I've seen Green Bay in person. I hadn't seen San Francisco in person in two years. They are, they look the part. So when you see them in person, you start to realize why they physically dominate games like they did on Saturday. And that's what they did. I mean, come on, there was no chance. I mean, the Vikings, yeah, they scored a touchdown. Great. They scored a touchdown because of a pass interference and a jump ball. That was perfectly covered. The guy just didn't make a play on the ball, and Akil Witherspoon got benched. That was the end of that. So, yeah, out physically dominated the Vikings, out schemed them. And then, you know, Jimmy G had some shaky moments there at the end of the second quarter through the interception that was set the Vikings up to the field goal. You know, shaky a little, you know, but then I think Kyle Shannon just said, you know what, we're dominating the line of scrimmage. Fuck that, we're going to run the ball. Like, and he just kept running the ball to start the third quarter on the Vikings. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And he just, they slowly pounded them into submission. Tevin Coleman got 22 carries, had 105 yards. It really is going to be him or Mostert or Breida. You're not going to stop all three of them. Seems like one of no. them is going to have their big game. And the the fun thing about watching this team, too, and Kyle, what he does, yeah. is that normally when you watch the NFL, you, you kind of just – you got through the running plays. You're like, I, I realize this isn't a necessary evil. You got to establish a run, da da da. da but throw the ball. Yeah. That's the exciting part of it. But not with them. No, it's no, you're right. That you got so much motion. Yeah. You got movement. You got misdirection during the play, before the play, and they're they're zoning teams, gashing teams for eight yards a pop. Right. Like the running game is as exciting as some teams pass. I think that's exactly right. You're right. It is. They're actually like they're backwards. They're almost like they're like Baltimore, except they just don't do it with Lamar Jackson. 
They do it with a lot of deception before the snap, after the snap, whatever it may be, and they rip off chunk plays in the run game. Now, I, I know that was one thing like Shanahan was a little scared of. Like, I think he knew he could run the ball on Minnesota, but just in my little conversations with him, mm. he was kind of telling me like on, on uh, Friday, we had a little conversation about the game and things. He goes, man, he goes, the one thing I'm a little worried about is like, I don't think I'm going to be able to bust big runs. He goes, Zimmer's been playing the safety so deep and things like that, that even when we open up a hole the size of a Mack truck, like, truck, Harrison Smith's going to make a tackle at like the 10-yard mark or the 12-yard mark or something like that. And, yeah, that's what happened. They never really busted a huge one, but it was eight. It was seven. It was five. It was eight. It was ten. It was four. It was two. It was yeah. eight. Like, it just was a constant, you know, up-your-butt-Joe-boo effort there. And then the defense dominated on the other hand. And then, again, we saw, you know, the issues with, with Minnesota arise. Like, right, we talked about kryptonite. There's your kryptonite. They're, they couldn't run the ball. Can't do the bootlegs once they can't run the ball. And then they don't have a drop-back pass game. They don't have a drop-back pass game. So Kirk Cousins has no chance to succeed when the game gets into like that. It's just so lacks creativity on that side of the ball. And, you know, hey, there you go, Cleveland. You can have Kevin Stefanski. Welcome. We'll talk about him in just a second. But the 49ers defense, um, they were scary no matter what. But then it's like they got, them all, they got all their guys back. Yeah, they got, that's, that's right. They got D. Ford back his first game since week 14. Uh -huh. He played half the snaps. Quan Alexander, yep. first game since week 9. He played 54% of the snaps. Yep. Jaquaski Tart, first huge, game since huge week 13. Guys for them. He played every snap. Yeah, those are huge guys for them. Again, this is a Seattle scheme. All right, so it's not about creativity. It's about the players and energy. And their talent is what, like, makes that scheme really, really good. And those are three vital positions. Seattle was famous in the Seattle Seahawks run because they had Cliff Abril and Chris Clemens and Michael Bennett coming off the edge. You know, yes, so they need D4 to go with Nick Bosa. And they need their Bobby Wagner, who's Quan Alexander. And they need their Cam Chancellor, who's Jaquaski Tart. And you see that they look like a different defense when those guys are on the field. They're just faster, more aggressive. They're smarter, everything about it. And they just had their way with Minnesota on both sides of the ball. I think that was the thing I was shocked by. Again, you, you know why I, wanted, I thought the 49ers were going to win the game. But a week after the Vikings absolutely whooped the Saints up front, I just did not think that the 49ers would absolutely dominate them the way they did up front like that. And I think that was the thing that maybe shocked me the most. The other stuff I... You know, I feel. I want to say I feel like I, I kind of saw happening. So say this. Say this happens. Yeah. Say somehow, the Packers in the NFC Championship game can stop the run of the 49ers. Yeah. Or, or in the Super Bowl, if they get there, yeah. the Titans are there, uh, and they stop the running game of of the 49ers. Teams haven't been able to do that, but say they can. Yeah. Can Jimmy G win a game for this team? Yeah. I'm not gonna let last week like he he did it already. I'm not going to let just this game where – What do you where, mean he did it already? Well, he did it in Seattle. Yeah. You know, he was awesome there. You know, he was awesome in New Orleans, on the road in New Orleans. So I've seen enough to know he can do it. And, yeah, were there some shaky moments? Definitely. Listen, I'm not trying to like – but it was his first playoff game, and he was playing a pretty good defense. And I think this will go a long way for him being that much more comfortable this week. I really do. You know, hey, you can say all you want. When you get out in the playoffs, it's just it's a different world, and you know you're the only game on. And, you know, just the intensity of the game and the moment and all that is so so magnified. Yeah, he made some shaky throws, some shaky decisions, uh, but I think it's really only going to make them better for, for this week, and they were able to escape it without him really hurting the team. I think they're a heavy favorite to win it all. 
Just a, I think so too. They're they the, probably are. The they're favorite. the best team. They're the best team. I don't think there's any way they lose to Green Bay unless they make mistakes, like Jimmy G throws interceptions to what you're talking about, or somebody busts a coverage. Like I don't see that happening. Now Kansas City, if they have to play Kansas City in the Super Bowl, I would go, ooh, that would scare me a little. It would. Because Kansas City, like I told, they had the big people to slow the run game. Spagnuolo's pretty creative. Mm. He can match wits with Shanahan a little bit. They can pass protect in Kansas City, as we saw yesterday. So that can maybe nullify the forward Nick Bosa factor just a little bit to wear that. So that is just interesting to me. But I think that, yes, the 49ers are the best team left in football. Can we talk about Kevin Stefanski oh, now? Yeah, let's go. You brought it up. So uh, you got a little fired up about the, well, of course about the I Brown did. situation. Of course. And they hired Kevin Stefanski. He is going to be the new head coach over at the Browns. It's their new thing. They take a guy who's a first-year coordinator, and after that year, they, they instill him as the head coach. Uh, it didn't work out so well with Freddie Kitchens. We'll see if it works out with uh, Kevin Stefanski here. Um, what do you think? So, so a lot of the words is that their, their chief strategy officer, Paul DePodesta, wanted Stefanski last year. Yes. The GM at the time, John Dorsey, who is now gone, did not. Mm-hmm. He is now gone. The guy they hired is now gone. So now here you go. You got synergy. You got synergy with uh, the people who are still there from the front office and the analytics department and the head coach who will be submitting game plans to the to the front office. Uh, it sounds like it's a match made. It's harmony in Cleveland now, but you're not buying that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's harmony because there's a coach who just basically said, I don't care. I'll do whatever I got to do to be a head coach. And they were like, that's what we wanted to hear. That's right. You'll listen to us, and you'll like it. I mean, that's what they got, and that's what it is. First off, what excites you about Kevin Stefanski? And, again, I would like to clarify this just before we start. I know Paul D. Podesta is a nice man. This is not personal as a human being. I'd like to have a beer with you. You're probably not going to want to have a beer with me after this segment. Okay? <laughs> Same with yeah. Kevin Stefanski. No, he's a nice guy. I don't really know him. I know he's a good guy and all that. This is purely football. But, like, first, this is the first thing I would say. Over the last six weeks, when people have asked Mike Zimmer about his offense, he never brings up Kevin Stefanski. He talks about the things he talks about that he loves about the offense are Gary Kubiak-related. He's actually said, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that Kubiak was the best thing that's ever happened to him since he's been in Minnesota. All right? He said the quote was, Gary has been tremendous. He's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me since I've been here. Yes. So, like, there, like, you got to look into the things that's not being said. And here's two years in a row, and we haven't really heard, like, Stefanski is the greatest thing we've seen, or he's really helped me out. Listen, I know he's done some good things, but what, you know, what we saw all year, this is where I just don't get it with Cleveland. Like, if the run game didn't work, again, Gary Kubiak run game didn't work, Nothing really worked in Minnesota, and they certainly couldn't rely on their drop-back pass game. It's simple. I mean, it's, it's as simple as can be. It's a sixth-grade offense when you break it down that way. So, yeah, I have issues with the hire. Then I have issues with Cleveland, going, like, what the hell are you thinking? You know, I mean, I was in Cleveland. Now I'm back to you're the mistake on the lake. You're the mistake. I don't know what else to say. It's just stupid. And then the fact that you start to hear these things where the analytics team is running the organization. 
I mean, a guy who was running a baseball team is now telling a, foot, a guy in football, the owner, how to run the football team. Yeah. The which, same which, guy who yeah. the analytics said, you know, don't make Carson Wentz a top 20. He'll never be a top 20 quarterback. Yeah. Wrong. Might, wrong. He's already top 20, edge of top five. Might, you were wrong. Might not have been the same people. Yeah, yeah. well, I don't know. They were there, okay? Yeah. So I don't get that. And then when you start to hear that they're involved, you have to send the game plan to them? Yeah. What? You know, and then they're involved in in in-game decisions? That's insanity. I'm I don't not, know. I'm not totally opposed to the idea of rethinking the organization Analytics how, are fine. how a team works. And so I'm not They're even fine. opposed to it being more of a collaborative effort. But I am opposed to there not being the appropriate accountability when you do that and letting it all fall on a head coach who has to face the media. most. And I think that's the problem that some people have and a lot of people have with an analytics department is right. that a lot of times they lurk in the shadows. Dee Podesta's not even there. I mean, he doesn't live there. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, oh, yeah, that's great. He's been there since 2016. Tell me the results he's put forward so far. Tell me. Because if a GM had the record Dee Podesta had, tell me how that would work. Oh, not very good. I just, to me, they're a dumpster fire. That's he's, all I can really say. He's not going to get a beer with you. That's, Definitely that's not. Certain. And, again, he's a nice guy and happy new year, and I get all that. And there great. Is a, and there is but a, this is football related, and, and I don't a, get it. There's a report out there, too, yeah. that they were going to take, and you talked about it with Mike, right, right. that they were going to take whoever lost in that game between Stefanski and yeah. maybe Robert Sala. Right, Sala, like you hit the jackpot. Whoever was Good available first. So whoever lost and who was available first, they were going to take because yeah. I guess they figured it was beneficial to them to get going right. with the new head coach and right. moving forward. Which, if that's true, yeah. which I have no reason to believe it's not true, right. or it is, if that's true, that does show the arrogance of, of the department Definitely. a little bit because it, it, it seems to be indicating that it doesn't matter as much who the head coach is. Right. It's more of them in place, yeah. the system that they're instilling, and sure. the head coach is interchangeable, and whoever's available will be fine. Yeah, well, the enough, coach so. is interchangeable. You know what? That We've seen that. The coaches have been interchangeable, and they sure. still sucked. And you know what was there? The analytics department. So they suck too. That's all I can say. Analytics have always been part of the sport. Makes no sense what they're doing. They're way too involved. I don't know who Jimmy Haslam's listening to. He's been duped or fooled by somebody. And just makes absolutely no, no sense to me too. And, you know, it's a shame too because I look at a guy like Josh McDaniels and go, oh, he's perfect for there. But, like, you know, you read reports that, like, Josh McDaniels had a seven-hour interview and he was asking them as many questions as they were asking him. Of course he was. I mean, he came from the place who does everything right. And he's probably like, what? You do it what way? What? I need to ask you a few questions on that. Why do you do it that way? Yeah. Oh, that makes no sense. Let me ask another question. That makes no sense. So... You know, I, I've given up on Cleveland. I don't care. I'm, I'm gonna, not rooting for him anymore. I've given up. I'm Sorry, gonna, Annie. Once I'm giving up on Cleveland. Once we're done with this podcast, I'm going to ask you your true feelings on Cleveland. Yeah, you know I wanna, me. I'm one to hide them. They really are. All right, that's it. We're done. So what do you think about the uh, the future of of the Vikings now? Because they're losing Stefanski. They're yeah. losing George Edwards. How do you, what do you think about them going forward? Well, I mean, again, it doesn't really matter to me that they lost Stefanski. Is Kubiak still there? So, yeah, <laughs> you point. know my thoughts on that one. Of the four division losers. Right. Which team do you think has the most hope going uh, into 2020? So you take the oh the four the yeah. four teams who lost. You got Seattle, you got mm -hmm. Houston, you got Baltimore, yeah. and you got wow Minnesota. It's got to be Baltimore, right? I mean, yeah, I think. But it, it's not getting concerning though. Now it's been uh, a couple time playoffs. No, uh, you get there. The lights are brightest. They're not performing. I, yeah, I Gets mean, I get that. Those bit. questions are going to be there. Yeah, and it's going to be in their head. They still have a lot of young talent, and John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson. 
you know, I, I, yeah, they have a certainly still a bright future. Listen, I'll say, you look at Houston and Seattle, they're not far off either. I mean, Houston's not. Houston, if they could get a pass rusher, sure up their defense a little bit that way, I mean, they're not far off. And same with Seattle. You know, Seattle is just, they got a, they got a few vital positions. They need an improvement too. They need a more of a pass rush. They need another cover corner. For just like what we saw with games yesterday. When it's third and five or third and eight, they can't play man against anybody. And that's what you have to do in the NFL because you can't play zone on third and five because, like, Aaron Rodgers is going to buy time and somebody's going to move into a hole and he's going to manipulate it and throw it in there. And that's what you see. The great defenses play man in those situations. Seattle can't do that. So, mm. again, they're not far off these teams. But I guess, yes, if you made me pick one, I feel still really good about Baltimore. So those four teams are done. They're going home. So we have to say goodbye to them. You want to you Requiem for a team. Requiem for a team. Brought to you by Ahmed Farid. So I spent, I was in my office today. Yes. I, little, I carved out an office in our house. Good. And uh, I thought for 15 strong minutes on these today. Wow. So I spent good. more time than I, I have in the past. <laughs> So uh, Houston, let's Houston. Start with the Houston Texans. Here lie the Houston Texans, a team that successfully traded away its future to secure another devastating playoff loss. And things look good next season as well. With the talent they have coming back, they're almost a lock to embarrass themselves next January. So they're going to do it again. Sorry, Houston. They're, they're, they're good. You have a problem. They're good enough to lose from the Ahmed Farid. Here lie the Minnesota Vikings. Yes. Mike Florio's favorite team. Oh, that's a problem right off the bat. A team he loves to hate. Yes. That has players who oftentimes love to hate, hate each him other. back or hate him. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> uh, despite Kirk Cousins' mantra, the Vikings end their season in Michael Scott of the office style. Nope. Don't like that. That's what he said. Remember that? Nope. nope. Don't like that. Nope. You like that? You don't like that. No. You don't like that. No, no one, I don't, Kirk. No one did like that. Wearing purple. Another team wearing purple. Yes. Here lie the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, sorry, Baltimore. A team that made the controversial decision to take it easy in Week 17 and the even more controversial decision to take it easy in the <laughs> AFC Divisional Playoffs. Well played, Ahmed. Well played. Now they have all offseason to think about that. Big trust. About that. Woo, woo. woo. Yeah, it's got a long time. And finally, here lie the Seattle Seahawks. A team that brought back beast mode, hoping it was 2013 and proving once again that things are never quite as good as we remember. The decision to punt at the end of the game, something they'll have to chew on for hours and hours and hours this offseason. The perfect job for Pete Carroll. Look, he can do that. He's, he's a good he's, chewer. He's great at chewing. He'll chew on that. So he's the right man for the job. Bye-bye, Seattle. Get him back there. So Seattle, call, Ravens, call. Vikings, see you and next Texans year. Call. are done. We will see them next year. Maybe in the playoffs. Yeah, I would bet they would be in the playoffs. All right. Good? Good. Good got talk. Got good talk. Off. I feel good. That was I good. I feel good. It was a good therapy good. session. I needed that. Good conversation. You're the man. Ahmed Any, Fareed. Anything more you want to say about the Browns <laughs> right now or no? You... No, I'm, I'm exhausted on there. I really, the next thing, I, I want to start throwing things because yeah. I'm so angry with that good whole people, thing. Though. All right, They're good people. Yep. All right, get ready for the bootleg in Cleveland, all right? You guys are going to be the best bootleg team in football next year. <laughs> Ahmed, you the man, always. Chris. Thanks, thanks for doing it. Uh, Chris Sims, unbuttons, in the books. You know, rate, review, whatever. Wednesday, we're going to be back. I think we're going to stick with a little bit of what we did last week on NBC Sports or YouTube slash NBCSports.com, where I did a little more of the breakdown, the X's and O's of matchups to come. So look for that. Uh, hope everybody's good out there. Talk to you Wednesday. Peace.
longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.